Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 117 and I'm talking with ultra runner Jackie Merritt. Jackie grew up playing basketball and she realized she had a passion for long distance running in college and she now holds numerous wins and course records ranging from the marathon to 100 mile races. Jackie placed seventh at Western States last year, which is a really big deal after earning a golden ticket into the race after placing second at the Georgia death race. She's currently training for Western States this year for 2018. That'll go down in June. And she's got big goals and big dreams for that race. Jackie runs for Hoka 1-1 and Lily Trotters. She's a physical therapist, holds a doctorate in biomechanics, and is currently studying neuroscience. This was really fun because we get to talk about the mechanics of running and all kinds of nerdy stuff like that in this episode as well. Jackie is fast, she's smart, and she is very dedicated to both her sport and her passion for her career as well. You guys can follow Jackie on Instagram at J underscore Palm, P-A-L-M underscore. You can also follow me over on Instagram. It's my favorite social media platform like most of you probably. I'm Lindsay Hine 626. If you guys are enjoying this show, one of the best ways you can support it is by leaving a rating and review on your podcast app or wherever you listen to the show. When you leave a rating and review on the show, it is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. So that is super helpful. And if you've already done that, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you are looking for more content from me, you can find that on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right, you guys, let's go ahead and enjoy this conversation with Jackie Merritt. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Jackie Merritt. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Hi, thanks for having me. Really excited to have a really fast ultra runner on the show today. Yeah, thanks. I'm really honored to um, have the invitation to be on with your uh, really awesome lineup of previous guests. So thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. We've had a couple ultra runners, but it's definitely, um, we definitely haven't had as many ultra runners. So I always love talking to you guys and picking your brains um, about what you do out there. So you, Jackie, grew up playing basketball your whole life and kind of discovered running a little bit later. Can you kind of tell us about your story there? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so like you said, I played basketball, uh, you know, throughout my school years, like middle school, high school. Um, I didn't play in college, um, but when I went to college, I still um, liked, you know, keeping in shape and, um, you know, participating in like fitness and like fitness activities and uh, like intramural basketball. Um but uh, somewhere in there, I ended up joining triathlon club at James Madison University um, in Virginia, where I went to undergrad. And um, yeah, it kind of took off from there. I was doing triathlons for a minute and then really just fell in love with running and um, started doing some road races. And uh, yeah, before long, I was trail running and then that eventually led to signing up for my first ultra. And then it just, yeah. Here I am. <laughs> so tell me what was your favorite part about triathlon? Because I've dabbled in it. And I'm when I say that I've done two, I've done one sprint and one half Ironman. So what, what was your favorite part about triathlon? Oh, yeah. Um, 
honestly, the my favorite part about triathlon was my triathlon club. They were really awesome um, at, at James Madison. I, I really loved uh, training with people because I hadn't, I mean, I, I come from team sports. So when I started, you know, working out on my own, I kind of had lost that. Um, so it was really fun to just like a few times a week be training with people and have um, that structure kind of, we had a coach. And so um, I had a little bit of structure there. And, um, and the other thing for me um, with triathlons at that time was just um, really having a goal again to mm-hmm. kind of work towards in training and kind of, um, it's, it's the same way with like running and, um, and ultra running as well. But uh, yeah, I, I really like that. And then also the, the uh, kind of variability that you had in your training, you know, with like the three sports, you were never, ever doing the same thing, um, you know, for any, like any two times in a month or even like three months, you know, so that was fun. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Like a lot of times in our adult lives, uh, people kind of drift away from exercise and working out just because of that lack of team. You know, you grow up in team sports. You grow mm-hmm. up doing things with the team. And, and that's why all these running clubs and, and team sports are so important as we age because there's something about having that community of support. And so when people fade away, I'm like, you got to find a group, man. you got to find a group to get involved with and invested in. Um, and I love, too, what you were talking about, the variation of workouts, because when I trained for my half Ironman, I was in the best shape of my life. And I was only running three, maybe four days a week because I had never like worked my core muscles the way that I was working them in the pool and spending so much time on the bike. Like my legs were so strong, you know, so, um, I'm definitely a runner at heart like you, but, uh, there's something to be said for that multi-sport and how gentle it is on your body too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I have run some of my fastest road times um, while I was doing a lot of cycling, um, which is kind of, uh, it was almost like surprising. Um, But yeah, I I really think that um, you can still get that like aerobic stimulus, uh, like doing things like biking and swimming um, without the super high impact. So you're able to, you know, a five hour bike ride is going to take much less out of me than a five hour run even. So, um, yeah, totally. Well, I want to talk about ultra running and, um, you ran your first ultra in 2009, the JFK 50 miler, which is a pretty popular race that a lot of people have probably heard about. Um, you placed 34th though. And then you kind of year after year, you chipped away and realized that you were actually like pretty darn good at this ultra thing. And, uh, recently you placed second at that same race. So talk to us a little bit about your progression as an ultra runner and how you've figured out, uh, that you're really one of the best ultra runners in the country. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So, um, the, when I, when I first ran JFK, uh, JFK is my hometown race. Like I grew up, um, about like a mile from the starting line of the race. So, um, it really, uh, you know, it's, that race is really special to me. And, uh, I think I signed up for that race, um, and ran it like about a year after I started running, like at all, like, you know, I, I ran like, you know, a 5k the year before that, my first ever road race. And then I ran the 50 miler, like probably a year later. Um, so I, I was certainly, yeah, I was certainly still on that, like exponential, like, um, you know, scale of improvement, I think at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first time I ran JFK, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely trained well for it, but I think, like I said, I think I just didn't have um, the experience or really know what I was doing quite as well. I was listening to a lot of um, advice from a lot of different people and um, I don't know, it, you know, I went in with a plan that I had to do like run, walk transitions and in hindsight, like after I finished the race, I was kind of like, well, I don't think I actually needed to do that because I don't really feel like mm. that spent, you know, so I think, I think it just took some time to really um, understand kind of what I was capable of and like really how to strategize, like, um, you know, using my, my effort over that long of a time. Um, so I guess, I guess that was part of it because the second year I came back and I was just kind of like, well, I don't really have a plan and I think I could run faster than last year. And then I ran like almost two hours faster than the year before. And I was like, Oh, wow, this is, uh, I think I could, I could even run that faster again. So, and then I think this past year I came back after a few years and, uh, and then ended up running like, I think 32 minutes faster than I had, um, you know, the, the second year. So, uh, yeah. So, um, I can't, I can't really explain it other than I just knew what I felt like I knew what I was doing more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and had a better sense of like how to train for these things and how to spread my effort over a time period of JFK is like seven hours, which isn't that long in the ultra world, but, um, yeah. (laughs) So, after receiving advice that from all different directions that maybe didn't uh, benefit you as much as it could have that first time. I mean, really the first 50 mile or any distance, you know, for the first time is the accomplishment is finishing it, but there's nothing wrong with wanting to finish at a faster pace, even if it's your first one, you know, there's nothing wrong with setting that goal. So what would you say to someone running their first 50? I would say, Firstly, I would say when you're at the starting line, do not think about how far you're about to run. (laughs) That's always a definitely, you know, kind of same thing as a marathon. You just kind of want to break it up into, um, into sections. Um, oh gosh, I, I would say you, the biggest difference, um, and key to success with ultra running versus like, if you're coming from like road running and road marathoning is you have to learn how to eat. Um, you just have to, you can't, I mean, you might be able to survive a marathon without taking in, uh, any calories or maybe taking in a couple hundred calories only, but, um, you just won't do, you probably will not do very well in something like a 50 miler or definitely not a hundred miler without really learning how to, um, to eat and drink while you're, while you're running. So I think really kind of, having a nutrition plan that's pretty solid that you practice going in and then being, uh, having a contingency plan ready because sometimes your stomach just Mm. does unpredictable things on race day. Um, and you just have to be able to adapt to that and really anything else that, um, can be thrown at you in the trail running world. That's a really good point. Like have a backup plan because what if your number one isn't working? Like, okay, what now? Like, because if you don't have a backup plan, you're stuck with something that you've never tried or, Um, that's something I really don't think about a lot in road racing because with the marathon, I'm like, okay, I have my gels and I'm going to drink and that's going to be what it is, you know, but when you're out there for 50 miles, a hundred miles, like you got to eat. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and the other thing is like, you have to be adaptable to your nutrition plan, but you just have to 
be able to adapt to so many um, more factors, even than a road marathon. And even a road marathon has so many factors going into it, you know, in a, some, especially something like a hundred mile race, you've got to, um, you know, you got to be ready to race at night and, um, you know, your stomach can do finicky things and the weather can really do stuff that can mess up your feet or like cause you to have like shaving in places you weren't expecting. And, you know, there's just so many things that can happen, um, when you're out there and especially if you're out there in a trail race. So yes, I guess that would be my, (laughs) be ready for anything. That's something you've talked about a little bit is that, um, you did run road marathons for a bit, but what you love about trail running and ultra running is like, that unknown because there's so many directions the race can go and factors. And I think some people might be kind of scared off by that, but it sounds like it excites you. Why is that? Oh yeah. Um, I guess one of the things I really love about, um, the longer distance stuff is that, um, there is more margin for error per se. Like, for example, if I at mile 20, like I start throwing up in a road marathon, my race is probably my time goal is probably pretty shot. You know, there's not like that much room for error. Um, but in something like a hundred miler that can happen and you can and, like come back to life and like regain your energy and like finish like really strong and like even um, beat your highest goals that you set for yourself. So that I think that idea is like and concept is like really um intriguing. Uh and I think it's also just um gosh, it's just like a different type of effort at the end of like something like a hundred miler versus a um a road marathon. Like it's kind of hard to describe like the uh the effort is certainly high and uh but I think there's just more it's it's kind of different because your body's in like a different type of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, you know, your legs are kind of hurting. You, you literally feel like you cannot go on. Um, it's not just like, Oh, I'm really tired. I want to slow down. Like in something like a road, a hard road race or something. Um, but yet you, you're still able to do that. You're still able to, um, you know, dig down and reach inside yourself and get it done, which I think is just really fun about ultra running. And, um, yeah, I guess that's that's one of the reasons why I'm really drawn to it. Um, All right. So, so <laughs> when you're feeling like that, when you're at mile 75 of a 100 miler and you have those feelings of like, I don't know how I'm going to move my foot one more step. What are how do you do it? Like, what are your mental strategies? Oh, gosh, I think it's it it changes like every race. I think, um, it kind of depends on, uh, yeah, it depends on so many things, but, um, it's, it's kind of funny. Like in it, there's always some point in any race I run where I always like something in my brain is like, why are you doing this right now? <laughs> Stupid. You know, like in a hundred mile race, I'll be like, why couldn't I have signed up for the hundred K and then like in a, in a 50 mile race, I'm like, why didn't you sign up for the 50 K? Um, so it's, it's kind of funny. And I've kind of just learned to like laugh at that little voice in my head. Like, yeah, you would be, you would be saying that right now when you, you could be, you know, you could be done, but you know, at mile 75 now you still have 25 miles to go. Um, so I kind of like expect that. And then when I hear that voice, I'm, I just like laugh at it and like, you're doing this because it's hard. 
you know, that's why I'm out here. This feels really hard. And that's the reason that I'm out here. If it were easy, then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be drawn to doing this. Mm -hmm. And so kind of just being ready for, to be in that moment and, um, you know, be questioning myself and say, yep, here it is. Like, this is what I've been expecting to be feeling. And um, this is why I'm out here because this is the moment where it counts. And like, kind of thinking like, I've kind of in some of my races, um, kind of, uh, you know, how like I was talking about mentally kind of breaking down the race into sections beforehand. Well, when I get to that last section that I've kind of like compartmentalized in my head, I'm like, well, here it is. This is like everything that I have run the 75 miles that I just ran, I ran to get to this point, Mm. like this point is the race. And so kind of having that mindset, like, um, like I'm like running to the last part of the race and then that's where the race starts, I think kind of helps me kind of like mentally kind of get over it and just like get it out. So, yeah. Which is really good advice for any distance, honestly. Like, I mean, yeah, definitely. definitely. Obviously like, the marathon, for sure, that's great advice. Your last 10K, I mean, everybody knows the last 10K of a marathon, but even a 5K, I mean, 5Ks are really hard if you're racing them all out, and you can think about that for the last mile. Like, you got through those first two miles and ran as fast as you could. Like, now here it is. Lay it out there for that mile, you know? So that's that's a really good way to think of your race. Now, yeah, for sure. I think I actually got that. Um, from a, uh, from the road marathon scene, like, I think, I forget what coach it was. I want to say it might've been Jack Daniels, but he, um, I read somewhere where he was telling his athletes, uh, you know, anyone can run hard for 20 miles. It's the 10 K the last 10 K where the race is. And that was like, huh, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I guess that's, that's really true. Like that's really where, where it counts. And, um, if you're not hurting by that point, then, um, you probably didn't race to your potential, so <laughs> it's supposed me, to hurt. <laughs> let me ask you this now that you've done so many ultras. I know that, what's your marathon? I know that you're a competitive ultra. You're more competitive in the ultra scene than the road scene. You haven't really given yourself like a fair shake at like racing, racing a marathon since you've become competitive, but what's your marathon PR again? Mm-hmm. Uh, my marathon PR is a 307, Okay, um, and that was like, three years ago, I think I said that. Um, and yeah, I think one of my goals is to kind of do a more focused, um, kind of road marathon build up. Cause I do think I could, I could shave some time off that, but oh, totally. Um, yeah, for three sure. Or seven is where I stand right now. Um, <laughs> so, well, yeah, you'll shave a ton of time off. I mean, just the progress you've made in the ultra scene, but just, I mean, the mental game that you've figured out, I mean, that's going to obviously marathon training is so different because you have to do so much speed, but like your body is going to be, it'll be exciting to see you do that. But my question is, um, recently I was down in Florida for the Donna marathon weekend and I had the opportunity to talk with Jeff Galloway and he's like a, do you know who Jeff Galloway is? Yeah. uh Yeah. He's like a really well-known coach and he does this run, walk method thing, but when I was talking to him, uh, we were talking about training for the marathon, and I did not realize this, but he really prescribes 
making sure that you run the full distance before the marathon, which I've never done that. I've never run, I don't think more than 21 miles. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I, I do think that 22, 23 can be beneficial depending on what kind of runner you are, like experience wise. I mean, my husband is trained at a pretty high level and he does 24 before his marathon, but it seems so foreign to me to actually run the whole distance before the actual race. And I know that elite marathoners do that, but what are your thoughts on that? Like when you train specially for a marathon, will you go over the distance or run it, run the distance? Yeah. Um, I think it's so interesting that, um, there are so many different approaches to training, especially as like the the distances get longer, right? Like something like even a marathon, let alone like a hundred miler. Um, the training, some training approaches are just so like vastly different yet. They can all be really effective, um, for certain types of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that really says something about how individualized these things really have to be and how you, and if you have a coach, like really have to kind of, um, get to know how you respond to different, um, like training stimulus and training runs. Um, but yeah, as far like, I know that, um, like really good, um, really fast marathon athletes, like world-class marathoners, um, like Jared Ward, I think he runs like, uh, uh, the full marathon distance, like before mm-hmm. the actual marathon. Um, I know other world-class athletes who, like you said, will only run like, you know, 22, 23 miles. That'll be their top. I think that it kind of depends. Um, I think it's not necessary to run the full marathon distance, but if you're kind of like, if that's like a real, like mental, um, boost to you to like have actually covered the 26.2 miles before you go into the race, then I think it can certainly be beneficial. I don't think you should overlook the kind of psychological, you know, boost in your confidence that that can give you. For someone like me, I think that it's not the distance that's scary. It's like the speed. Mm-hmm. So for someone like I have, I haven't like specifically focused on road marathoning before and like improving my time. But I think when I, when I do do that at some point, um, I probably wouldn't be as concerned about getting the 26.2 as I would be like, okay, like how many miles did I do? Uh, was I able to do at marathon pace or something like that? Um, and then obviously the, when you're running that distance and training, you're not, you're certainly not running it. Um, like most of the miles at your race pace. So, um, it shouldn't take as much out of you. It certainly won't take as much out of you as if you like actually raced it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it, it kind of, it probably depends on the person. Um, and yeah, I certainly respect his, uh, like his success in, in coaching athletes with that method. And yeah, I think, I think the psychological boost from being able to cover that, especially from people who, um, aren't running ultras regularly is, is definitely something that shouldn't be overlooked. So, yeah, I mean, so many times when people run their first marathon, I hear them say, oh my gosh, you're only going to have me max out at 20 miles. And you know, like a lot of times my thoughts are like, okay, main goal is to get to the starting line injury free and finish your first marathon. Right. Um, but I do very much understand that like psychological, um, aspect of it. The only thing, the only thing that I see issue with it with certain runners is that, um, Man, if you're running like a five hour marathon to cut, you know, to cover that distance and then even slower than you race the marathon or something like that, like 
that's a lot of time on your feet in training that I don't know that I'd want to spend, have someone spend that much time on their feet. You know what I mean? But, but I do see the psychological benefits for sure. Um, that being said, I don't think I'm ever going to do it <laughs> myself personally. Yeah, I think I think an important thing is uh, getting back to the whole like seeing how you're responding to this. Like if you go out and you do like run a marathon in training on Sunday and then you have a speed workout on like Wednesday and you're just totally spent for that. I mean, now you're compromising something else and some other system that you're trying to stress in your training. That's also really important. So that's when you knew like, Hey, you probably like, if it took you like five and a half hours to cover 26 miles, like, and now you can't do your next workout. Like you probably weren't able to recover fast enough from that and probably need to back off a bit. Yeah. Um, at least that's what I would say. So totally. Yeah. There's something to be said for like doing some of those speed workouts on fatigued legs, but there's something to be also said for, having your legs be fresh enough on enough of those hard workouts that you execute them really, really well. Yeah, exactly. Now, you guys, Jackie is, um, we're talking to, I'm going to call you an expert. (laughs) Jackie is a physical therapist, a biomechanist, and a neuroscientist at Emory University. Okay, she has two doctoral degrees. So when we're talking about these workouts and this physical fatigue, I might sound like I try to know what I'm talking about, but she really knows what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm a physical therapist, and and I also have a PhD in uh, in biomechanics. Oh, so what's the neuroscientist thing? That's that's in there somewhere too, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah. Um, so I, currently in my research, I'm doing brain research in people who have had a stroke, and so I, <laughs> it's kind of funny. My PhD is in biomechanics and movement science, but my research really, um, at least for for getting my PhD, uh, really focused on what are like the neural correlates to how we move biomechanically. So historically, we've kind of treated these things separately. So people do a lot of neurophys measures, you know, measuring how neurons are firing, how the brain is reorganized. But then you have this other um, world of biomechanists, and they're studying like joint angles and forces and exactly how people are moving and um, how that's related to injury and um, joint torques and, and loading and all of this other stuff. And I've kind of um, tried to merge those two worlds. So I'm trying to see, okay, how is the brain reorganizing? How is it rewiring? How is it functioning? And then how is that related to how you are moving when you walk or run? So that's essentially what I'm doing. (laughs) So that's where both of those kind of come in. (laughs) To have two doctoral degrees, you have to be like fiercely passionate about this. And then to run 100 mile races, you also have to be fiercely passionate about that. So how do those worlds kind of, I mean, they kind of collide together. I mean, it's really interesting that you're combining these two passions. And that's, I mean, that's your life, really. So, So how do you kind of like combine them to live your life? I mean, are you thinking about the biomechanics of everything when you're out training? (laughs) Um, Sometimes I am. um, Like, it's funny in like road races. um, I can't not look at like how people are running. Like I really try to turn up my brain off, but like, I'm like looking like, huh, like, I wonder if this person has pain in this area of their life, (laughs) you know, something like that. Like um, I've gotten better about like, not, not like, asking people that I try, I try to just like, not, um, you know, like say anything unless someone will like ask me specifically or something. Um, but 
no, yeah. So in that sense, like when I'm out there, I am usually looking at how people move. And actually, it's really fascinating to me. It's not like I'm like judging someone like, oh, their form looks ugly. You know, I'm I am like fascinated by like um, how people move and how people uh, locomote. And um, I am. Yeah, it's just it's just fun to kind of like break down people's gait and like analyze it. And people who you would probably think like, ooh, their form is not the greatest. Um, they're passing me in yeah. races. So like I certainly can't I certainly can't judge them too much if they are faster than me and beating me, um, which a lot of them are. So, um, so yeah, it, it, that's fun. But yeah, um, I am, like you said, I'm, I am really passionate about, um, what I do in my career. And, uh, honestly, I just, I love helping people to meet their goals through movement. I love helping people overcome obstacles in how they move, um, to improve their lives, whether it's working with um, people after they've had a stroke, which is primarily what I'm researching now, um, to working with runners who are sidelined by injury and just can't figure things out. Um, I do some some work with runners and I have a, a research project looking at runners as well right now. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just really um, passionate about what I do. And I think, especially with runners, I think it's hard to kind of give runners advice and really study running if you're you're not out there doing it yourself Mm -hmm. um I think it's I don't know it just it really like there's certainly really good clinicians that um that are not runners themselves but I and and they I don't think it's necessary to actually you know be like putting in like all these miles and being a competitive runner but I, I think it definitely helps to kind of relate in that sense. But then, um, I guess with my, my work with stroke, um, it kind of helps me to put things in perspective. Like, um, just, I just feel after working with, um, people who have, you know, physical disabilities from a neurologic disorder all day, you kind of just have so much gratitude for getting out the door every day and being able to do what you're, you're able to and training and um and so I think I think I I'm it's nice to be able to help people who are affected by these diseases but I think they also give something back to me as well hey guys I want to jump in real quick and thank a couple sponsors who helped make this show possible the first is mercury mile mercury mile is fusing fashion and function for all runners They create a personal shopping experience for men and women at any stage of their running journey, and it's fun and easy. First, all you do is create a profile at Mercury Mile, pick a shipping date, and receive and explore a curated box of incredible apparel from your personal stylist. Keep what you love, send back anything you don't, free shipping and free returns as always. Try it today, mercurymile.com, and use the code HAVEANOTHER10 for $10 off your stylist fee. Glenn and I both received a box from Mercury Mile and Glenn wore one of the shirts that appeared in his box at the Boston Marathon last weekend. It's an Asics shirt and it's super cute and fits him really well and something that he would have never gone out and thought about getting himself. So hey, this is the perfect gift for the runner in your life who maybe just completed the Boston Marathon or if you were out there yourself, I think that let's be honest, you need to treat yourself, right? Go to mercurymile.com and use the code HAVEANOTHER10 to get $10 off your stylist fee. 
And I also want to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this episode of the podcast. Finally, a stylish high-performance compression sock for women. Lily Trotters compression socks are marathon strong and designer inspired. You get fit, comfort, and style whether you're running a marathon or a mile. Made in the USA, Lily Trotters compression socks are perfect for the runner, traveler, or expectant mom. You name it. Treat yourself and use the code ANOTHER at checkout to get 25% off your offer. Just go to lilytrotters.com. Links to both of these sponsors will be in the show notes, lindsayhine.com. Thank you, Mercury Mile, and thank you, Lily Trotters, for supporting this episode of the podcast. Let's get back to my conversation with Jackie Merritt. So tell me this, with your running and knowing so much about the body and how to prevent injury and different forms and stuff like that, have you had to change or decided to change anything about the way you run? Like, have you noticed anything that you were like, I should probably do this differently so that I don't injure this? So when I run, I tend to, especially when I'm running like harder speed, um, workouts or something, I tend to, um, have a higher rate of impact sometimes. And I know that because I was working with a company called uh, Milestone Pad and they make these little accelerometer devices that you can attach to your shoe and they give you feedback on um, certain uh, mechanics that you're using when you run and one of them um, that is really valuable and has been for me is um, rate of impact so basically how hard you're hitting the ground uh, with each stride when you land and um, through using that I was able to uh, kind of do some things to um, reduce my rate of impact, especially during like the hard workouts. And also my rate of impact would increase when I was fatigued. So like at the end of like a, you know, 25, 30 mile long run, I would see my rate of impact start to creep up. And so I think um, having that feedback and being more aware of when that's happening um, and being able to address that in real time has really helped me and also helped me um, stay injury free, knock on wood. So has has it helped you run faster? Oh gosh, that's really, that's kind of a hard, it's kind of hard to say if it's helped me run faster because you're never doing just one thing to try to help you run faster. You're always doing like a bunch of things, but um, yeah, the, that little accelerometer, it does give you feedback on some metrics that we know are related to running efficiency, uh, specifically leg swing. So how high your knee is flexing when you're swinging it through before your, your leg hits the ground for the next stride. Um, and we know a higher leg swing is actually more efficient. So I could, it was actually really funny. Like when I went out, when I go out for runs, um, and I'd have the device on me and, uh, and then I'd get back and see my data, Um, if I knew if I was like really dragging and my legs felt like lead and I was really feeling it, like my leg swing was so low, like Mm. you could just, you could tell. And then when it was like, and I'd be running the same pace on like a different run and I feel like amazing and my leg swing would be like all high and, um, it was just really funny. So I kind of, um, I had that, like, even when I feel kind of, I'm dragging a little bit on like some runs. At, at this point, I, I'm very cognizant that like, I'm my leg swing is also low. So I will try to like, do some things like engage my extensors a little more um, and get my leg swing up there. So mechanically speaking, that should help with my efficiency as well. So 
those type of things. Okay, that's really intriguing. What what's the thing called that you were using? It's called Milestone Pod. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a little accelerometer device. You can like attach it to your shoelaces. It's really light. Um, I never even noticed that I have it on, and I think it retails for like twenty nine dollars. So it's really not expensive. And um, yeah, I can give you like some of the same metrics that we measure in our really, really expensive biomechanics laboratory with like 10 cameras and in-ground force plates and, and all this fancy equipment, but you can get it, you know, for a very affordable cost. It syncs to an app on your phone and you can get it in the real world, which we are not able to do in our fancy lab setting. So. Wow. That is, that's crazy. So my question with the leg swing thing is so like when you said you'd run the same pace, but one day you would feel good. One day you wouldn't feel so good. You knew that it was related to your leg swing. Would you say like looking back going into the run, it's because your legs were just more fatigued from prior workouts or you were just tired for the day and that's why your leg swing wasn't as, as high. Yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, like you said, like, um, I would feel more tired because I had done something crazy maybe like the day before or the morning before, um, the run or something like that. And so I, I would go into, um, like an easy pace run, uh, just more tired, but I would see that fatigue reflected in my leg swing. So huh. when I kind of felt my legs dragging, I was able to kind of proactively, um, adjust some, some things at my form so that I wasn't also fatigued and compromising my efficiency at the same time, if that makes sense. So when you say leg swing, I'm just trying to get a visual picture here. What does that mean? Like, are you lifting at your hips more? Like, what is what is a higher leg swing? Yeah, so leg swing, um, if you go, if you look on like, the, this is, leg swing is like what the, the milestone uh, pod calls the metric. Um, as a biomechanist, we would call it the sagittal plane knee flexion angle in swing. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's an, it, it literally is the... Um, how so if you're standing straight up your your knee flexion we would say is uh if you're just standing there is probably somewhere close to zero degrees it's a straight line right your knee is straight and so when you're swinging your legs through that would be and your knee is bent that would be you know your knee going into greater flexion so we know that more knee flexion and swing is associated with um, better efficiency okay and so with a lot of your leg swing um, mechanically speaking actually comes for free because it is um, a pr- basically a product of what you did in stance and how hard you pushed off the ground okay which is related to extensor moments from your hip and your um, ankle plantar flexors or calf muscles and so essentially um, what that means is, uh, a few things can influence this, but the harder that you push off the ground and the better position that your leg is in, when you push off the ground, the higher your leg will, sw- uh, will bend and swing. And when you know that that the higher your leg, a higher leg flexion and swing is what's related to efficiency. So essentially what it comes down to, um, for most people is that, they're not using their glutes as much mm. and their calves as much to push off the ground as they could be and or um, they have really tight hip flexors. So their hip can't get as far behind them. And if your hip can't get as far behind you when you're pushing off the ground, then more of your force is um, trajected upwards, like vertically, as opposed to forwards to help you to run faster and also to help your leg swing. Um 
increased. So we kind of are measuring propulsive forces and uh, how well you're using your glutes and your calf muscles indirectly through knee flexion, if that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> this is awesome. I, you know, I was just talking to my friend Molly Turner, who's been a guest on the show, and she was just saying how like she wanted to hear some episodes or other podcasts even um kind of more about the science of all this. So this is going to be a really interesting episode for a lot of people. If you had to suggest exercises to help us improve the leg swing and that efficiency with using our glutes more and strengthening that area to help us to have better form and run faster with that leg swing, what what are some exercises you would recommend? Yeah, um, it's actually funny. I wrote a blog post on this, I think, like last year. So I can certainly link that to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. But let me see if I can remember what I said there. Um, so... I guess the, I think the, um, there's, there's two primary things that I would work on for this. Um, one is, uh, the strength of your hip extensors, so your glutes, um, and also your ankle plantar flexors. So essentially you're just working on, and this is like a really common thing that, um, a lot of PTs talk about, but working on that, like, um, posterior chain and like, the extensors that are going to help you push off the ground. So weakness in those extensors can, um, strengthening those extensors can help you achieve a better propulsive force, which will then translate to higher leg swing, most likely. Um, The other thing that runners a lot of times have a problem with is the tightness in the hip flexors. Um, There's some debate actually in in our uh, view and belief of what's the best way to address muscle tightness um that's kind of evolved in the past like decade um but i would think the and and there is some controversy in this um because we're kind of getting away like away from these like really long static stretch holds Mm -hmm. you know like you probably hear like okay get in this stretch and then like hold it for 60 seconds and it turns out that like holding a stretch like that for like even three minutes a day, which I mean, I don't know, for me, holding a stretch for three minutes a day for a muscle group sounds like a lot like that. That was like a good stretching day, right? Right. I mean, but then you're thinking like, that's like nothing compared to what you're doing the rest of the day. So in my view, I think that to address the tight hip flexor thing, what's really important is that you avoid or minimize positions where your hips, your hip flexors are getting tight. So what that means is, avoid sitting in chairs as much as possible. <laughs> and so that's some, one of the things like I do at work, like I have, you know, standing desk. So I'll, I'll try to do that. I have like a Swiss ball, which will activate, although you can certainly have really poor posture while sitting on a ball. It does your hip flexor muscle activity is lessened because you are using more core and stabilizer muscles. Whereas when you're sitting just upright in a chair, your hip flexors are on and they're holding your trunk up. So I think that, um, avoiding sitting in a chair for like long periods of time or taking like constant, like, um, you know, hourly or even 30 minute, like short walk breaks or something is really important for reducing, um, the hip flexor tightness that will then allow you to get the hip extension you need and running. And I think also, um, this is still that this is not solidly supported by science at this point, but one of the things I'm actually researching right now in runners, but, um, the uh, do, what you do before a run, um, I would expect would uh, make a difference. So if you are sitting in a chair for like eight hours a day at work and then 
you immediately like get up, put on your running shorts and head out the door. I think that your hip flexors are going to be really tight because they've been in a shortened position for eight hours. So what we're looking at now is seeing what the effect of like a dynamic warm up routine and kind of like opening up your hip and stretching out those muscles and activating your posterior chain muscles might do for your running form when you head out the door immediately uh, after you do something like like that, like sit at work or something for that long. So these are the type of things that we're looking at. Yeah. I don't know if, did I go on yeah. too much of a tangent no. and into your question? <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and so. that was making me think probably better to do a run if you can. I mean, everybody's got their own schedules and things they have to work with, but in the morning, because if you're laying flat, that's a whole lot different than sitting like you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And theoretically, like, yeah, it, it would make sense that, um, you know, obviously people, everyone has their own schedules they have to work around, but, um, yeah, it would make sense that your hip flexors might be a little less tight, um, first thing in the morning after laying as flat. To after sitting for eight hours in a chair. So. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. Jackie and I have discussed this, uh, via email that we're going to have her and her colleague Mindy back on the show to talk more extensively about the physical therapy side of things and maybe even get into some like post-pregnancy stuff for some of the the moms out there that are getting back into it as well. So we will touch more on this uh, topic, but I want to also get into um, a little bit more of your running career because uh, Jackie placed seventh at the Western States 100-mile race last year, which is pretty darn impressive. So Will you tell us, Jackie, like what your goals were going into that race and how you secured that uh, top 10 spot, which is so sought after? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess uh, going to Western States was, I wouldn't say it was, it was definitely like something that had been on my radar for a few years, especially when you start doing um, the ultras and doing like some 100 milers. Um, that's like the most notorious uh 100 mile race probably well debatably in the world definitely in the u.s um and it's it's highly competitive and it's also really hard to get in um and so to get into the race you have to qualify by running another 100 mile race um and enter your then you can like enter your name in a lottery and i think if you enter your name in the lottery you have less than a 2% chance of actually getting your name picked from the lottery. So it is really hard to get in that way, but that's how most people get in. Um, There's another way to get in, which is um, by winning something called a golden ticket. So there's, uh, I think there's like six um, golden ticket races um, in the U S and if you get top male, male or female, top two male or female, then you get what's called a golden ticket and that will, that's essentially an auto entry into the Western States for that year. And so last year, um, I ran the Georgia death race, which was a golden ticket race. And I came in second. And so I got one of the golden tickets into Western States. So I actually didn't find out that I was running Western States until um, April last year. So it was definitely like a, uh, a different like strategy because I was really, really gearing myself up for the Georgia death race, which is um is pretty different than than western states it's got like a lot more climbing that's a lot more condensed um and it's in the north georgia mountains it's, it's crazy but uh so i essentially had like i was geared up for georgia death race in really good shape and then 
uh, got the golden ticket at Georgia death race and then had to had basically like six solid weeks of training to go to gear myself up for Western States. So that was definitely like probably the most challenging thing in training was kind of like kind of finding out um, later uh, than most people that I was going to Western States and then um, recovering from Georgia death race and then training more for Western States. Um, so yeah, so that, that's essentially how I got into Western States. And then um, what was the other, was there another part to your question? Well, did you go into Western States with the thought, I want to be in that top 10? Uh, yeah, that was definitely a goal um, going into Western. And I kind of, I had, I had a strategy that was more, um, when I started Western States, uh, I had the strategy that I was going to play it more on the safer side so that I could kind of start slower and kind of like pick people off more towards the, the end after like mile 60 something. That was like kind of my goal. Um, and my my strategy my strategy to, for the goal of getting top ten, and I thought it would be attainable um, on a really good day. So I I did I did believe that um, I could get in top ten, but I by no means thought it was going to be easy, and it wasn't. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, in Western states, through just like a bunch of really unpredictable things at us this year, um, more so than usual, like up and the first thing you do is climb like this three mile um climb up what's called the escarpment into like high country and like altitude and all of that was just covered in like a foot of snow which isn't normal um for it to be covered in snow in june at that time so um no one was really prepared for that and there was just like this mud that just like was sucking people's shoes off up there and it was really crazy. I definitely had to adapt my time goals um, immediately based on those conditions. And then you got down from the high country and you're in canyons and it was like 110 degrees and you were just like baking in there um, while you're like racing. You know? So it was um, it was fun, though. It was definitely it was really challenging. I definitely started I was not doing very well in high country, especially with like the altitude and I wasn't no one's great at running in the snow, I think, but I definitely um, am not good at running in the snow. And so I started, I think I was like um, 20 something place uh, for the first like 20 some miles. Wow. And then I I gradually started like um, picking people off and I do pretty well running in the heat. And I think that the heat got to a lot of people that year. So um, I think, I think that ended up kind of helping me relative to to the rest of the field. Um, and so then, and also after mile like 60 something, there's a lot of downhill immediately after that. And I am, um, I definitely probably consider downhill running to be one of my better strengths in trail running. So that really helps me too. Um, so yeah, I think that's something a lot of people would be scared to do. Like know that the goal is top 10 and happily just kind of like sit back in 20 plus place and wait and be patient for the time to come. So that's pretty incredible that you did that. But tell us about, cause you get, when do you get to have a pacer jump in? I think you get to, uh, I, I did at mile, um, 62. Okay. So I think that's when you can first have one as well. Okay. So tell us about when your husband jumped in and like, he didn't have a headlamp. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I had two pacers, um, from mile like 62 to mile 80, um, was my friend, Matt. And, um, by the time I got to mile 80, it was, um, the sun was setting and it was getting dark and we had to get out our headlamps and at mile 80, like crosses river. Um, and then after the river, my husband was, um, supposed to pace me from mile 80, uh, into the finish. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's night, it's, uh, it's very dark and, um, you know, we set out and he, I guess, was using a headlamp that he hadn't practiced with or something and he did not have any extra batteries or any extra headlamp and his headlamp, like we'd been running for like an hour or something. And I guess his headlamp was like dying. And, um, meanwhile, I'm like, uh, like hunting people down, like, um, you can see like we were running on the single track trail. It's kind of like Rocky and Rudy and around this lake. And I could like see headlamps like ahead of us. And so for like an hour, I was like chasing down like this one headlamp um, or these two headlamps, the the runner and the pacer that I saw. And um, I had almost, almost reeled them in. And, uh, and I'm going down this like little, um, like uh descent and jeff my husband just like i just totally dropped him because he could not see and he started like tripping and then i'm at the bottom of this hill and uh he's like still at the top like trying to like scramble like blindly in the dark and uh <laughs> without without it it's just completely dead headlamp and uh i had to decide like hey do i want to like wait for him or do i want to keep running and i decided to keep running and uh so I just left him there. <laughs> you had goals. In the dark alone. <laughs> yeah, and there were like cougar sightings all day and stuff. And uh, yeah, so that was fun. But he, uh, yeah, so he was like trying to use the light of his garment or something to like get that. I mean, it was really, really dark there. Um, there's not like a lot of light, like light pollution or anything from the city because um, it's pretty remote. And so I think he ended up running behind the next runner, who I guess was running a little bit slower and they had they also had another pacer so he was able to like use their their light and was able to kind of like navigate that and then had to like get a ride in the middle of the night back to the finish because like I finished and he wasn't there for like another two hours he <laughs> like I had no idea where he was <laughs> so but I was he was happy that I I continued on oh so sure he didn't hold it against <laughs> yeah he, so so did you run the last like 15 20 miles all alone then I did. Yeah. I ran, it was probably, um, I think I probably dropped him around mile, like uh, it's probably around mile 90 or pretty close to mile 90. Um, and so, yeah, I ran the last, like at least 10 miles alone. And, and I think hopefully if we get the pacer thing figured out, um, this, this year, uh, hopefully I'll have someone, I mean, I think it definitely, like some people don't, um, like using pacers and I totally respect that. And like, obviously I was still able to finish really well without a pacer. So it wasn't like going to break me, but I do think that, um, how, when you're hurting that bad at mile, like 90, like having someone there to kind of like, I don't know, like push you and at least like kind of be there with you in the middle of the night. I don't know. I think it like helps me mentally, um, to kind of like get, get through it better, but I don't know. Did you feel like you, cause I feel so, I mean, I'm just thinking back to the last marathon I ran and I was, I'm fortunate enough that my husband 
runs faster than me. So he's able to like run with me. And I just remember it had been three years since I had really raced or four years since I raced a marathon. I remember how emotional I was at the finish line. And I was like crying just because of like, you know, that physical exertion of working so hard and being like, I did it. I'm done. Did you feel Obviously, you were elated that you knew you secured your top 10 spot. You got seventh place. But, like, did you feel sad that he wasn't there to celebrate it with you? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, well, so, my, like, my family and my crew was there. And they, okay. they of course, they, um, they were, like, when I – so, basically, I picked up Jeff at mile, like, the 80 – mile 8 station. And then I saw them again at, like, mile 93, which is the last time I could see them. And they were, like – uh you know, where's Jeff? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> He's back there. And they were just like, uh, okay, well, we're going to go to the finish because we don't want to miss this. Um, so they, they were all, it wasn't like I finished and I was like alone. Yeah. Um, but then it was kind of like after like a few minutes, I was kind of like, so Jeff is still out there. Do we know where he is? And they're like, we don't know. And then we were gradually like hearing like, okay, like he's getting a ride back. Um, you know, with somebody from the aid station uh, that was like one of the aid stations that your crew couldn't go to. He ended up stopping there. And um, uh, yeah, but no, I, I wasn't like, I, I was definitely still very happy when I crossed the finish line. And I probably didn't notice immediately that he wasn't there, but he was not in the finish line photos. So that was kind of sad now in hindsight. But oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, hopefully he will be this year. Okay, so <laughs> when when is Western States this year? I mean, I know it's the same time of year, it but is- yeah, it's June 23rd this year. Okay, June 23rd. So you're kind of like, you're really starting to get into some hardcore training now. So um, you are running the Atlanta Marathon tomorrow as a training run, right? Yes, that's right. And I'm going to try not to to uh, die because, yeah, road races are hard. So are you going <laughs> to race it? Like, are you going to run, like, full out, I'm racing a marathon? My plan is to... Um, run smart because it is a really hilly marathon. I mean, it's probably the most hilly road marathon that I will have ever run. And when you're, you know, obviously, you know, when you're running at your marathon race pace, those hills can hit you pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I I feel like I, I, like less affected by them and like a trail, something like that by a trail. So I think it has like 15,000 feet or sorry, 1500 feet of climbing in it for, yeah. uh, Atlanta marathon so it's yeah Atlanta is hilly it's no joke um but yeah my my plan is to to run smart especially with when I know um what's coming with all the hills and uh I would say my goal is probably for like the training um effect I want to get I probably want to I my goal is to kind of go with like a 90 percent like harder tempo effort okay um for this race so um, I haven't really, I did like a mini taper, um, but you know, the, the end goal is, is really Western. So I didn't, I didn't, um, taper off too much. I, I probably took like a two to three day, like lower mileage and didn't do any crazy workouts this week. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm going with it. And it is, it is my city. So that'll be fun. Like running around my city and, Um, I'll probably see a lot of people I know out there and yeah, my goal is just to, to be happy and hurt a little bit and, uh, yeah, use it, um, as a solid hilly run and, um, a solid tempo effort. So what, what kind of time do you think that that'll land you at in such a hilly race in the middle of training for an intense hundred miler? 
Oh my gosh. I don't know. Um, I would probably like, I would be happy with like, and I think I'm capable of, uh, like three fifteen. Okay. So I- I'll probably be looking for like something around there. I'm going to try not to look at my watch yeah. too much. Um, until maybe like the last bit, if I like feel like it's helping me hang on a little bit. Yeah. Better, I so. mean, in all reality, I mean, just being such a competitive trail runner, those hills, even though they're hard, your legs have to be so strong on those hills. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't been get it. I haven't gotten into like the real like meaty part of mm. my hills training for Western yet. So yeah, I have I have no idea well, what what my legs will do tomorrow. But yeah, it'll it'll be fun. Um, I I've been wanting to run this marathon since I moved here. I think a lot of faster people like faster marathoners tend to avoid it because it is so hilly and you're not going to run a PR on this course. You know, it's just, you're just not setting yourself up to run like a super fast time. And there's not like a lot of prize money or anything. So there's not a lot of draw for like, for some of the like really high tier elite athletes to come. Yeah. I mean, even, I don't even think I would go run a marathon like that at this point in my life just because (laughs) like, unless I was legitimately just running it for fun, because it's like, yeah, if you're only going to use one effort a year or two efforts a year on a marathon. You're not going to PR on that course, you know, but it does sound like a fun one to run like as a training run. Either way, it's going to be a really good workout for you. Yeah, definitely. And, and the more hilly, the better for me for for like a training run going into Western States. So, so what's your goal this year for for Western? Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, um, I set myself, I, I usually set like like three goals, like, you know, I, I think it's pretty common like yeah. you set like your goal that like, okay, the stars have to align on this day for me to do this. And you set like the goal that's like, okay, this is probably most realistic. And then like, okay, like th- this would be like, if, if stuff happens, but I can just like gut it out. That's like my seagull. Um, I would say like this year, um, so last year, like top 10 was, was like my A goal. And I would say top 10 this year is probably like my B goal. Okay. So I guess that's what I'll say about it. <laughs> well, and so much um, like, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. there's just so many factors in a hundred mile race and like the field that's going to be out there. Yeah, and just Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, like you can honestly, you can be in the best shape of your life going into a hundred miler and, and sometimes it, it doesn't matter. Like sometimes stuff just happens that um, either like, you know, maybe your strategy wasn't quite like what it should have been on the day maybe like you weren't quite able to adapt to something you weren't expecting or maybe like your stomach just slipped out and you really don't know why and it's never happened before I mean there are just so many things that that can happen out there so I don't know I try to be like going into any race I kind of just try to tell myself like hey like I I really like I have to be happy with whatever the outcome is. And, um, you know, whether I like blow this out of the water and do amazing or whether I don't finish, like it doesn't define me as a person or as a runner. And so I think like kind of keeping that in perspective and just like knowing, like just telling the line of this race is like truly an honor. And like, I am just truly grateful that I even have like this opportunity that I can even stand on this starting line and like be one of these individuals who are going to attempt to cover like something like a hundred miles on foot in a day. So I don't know. I, th- I think that that kind of helps like keeping everything in perspective and you're like setting goals, but yeah. Cause my net, you kind of just answer my next question. Cause I was just thinking you seem like a pretty, um, low key, not freak out kind of person as far as running goes. 
And so I was wondering pre-race, like a big race like this, how do you kind of like set yourself up for success mentally? <laughs> I think my husband would laugh at you for uh, <laughs> that. Um, because there's certain things in my life that I'm like very like, um, like that caused me like a lot of anxiety, like things with like my work or like writing a grant or like yeah. writing like my dissertation. Like I'm just very like everything has to be like, exactly how I want it and like it has to be like perfect but of course nothing is ever perfect you just have a deadline that's what my advisor told me yeah um so I feel like it's like getting your PhD and running something like a 100 mile race are not that dissimilar you know so you're never going to be perfect going into a 100 miler or a marathon or whatever there's just a deadline there's there's a race date and like sometimes you just have to have confidence that like what you did is enough and like your best is is going to be enough to meet your goals and I don't know if I just went on a tangent or answered your question but no that was great yeah that was great now I want to mention before we wrap up that you are sponsored by Hoka and Lily Trotters so you but you also work full-time and have a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have a very uh, demanding career per se. Um, so what does that balance look like? And how exciting is that as an ultra runner to be able to secure awesome sponsors to support you like that? Yeah, well, I guess firstly, I'm, I'm really, I feel really fortunate um, that I have like, really awesome companies like Hoka and like, like Lily Chatters that, um, that want me to represent their brand. I mean, that, I mean, it's just really, um, yeah, it's just a, really an honor for someone to ask you to, to represent their company and their brand and what they stand for. And, um, for those two companies, I think it's, it, it, it's a little more, um, it's more than about just selling stuff. I mean, they have, I, I think they have like individuals and characteristics that they, they feel, is a good reflection of their brand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel really fortunate to, to do that. Um, but yeah, as far as like balancing, um, my career stuff, I mean, I think that, uh, I honestly couldn't even imagine doing like, if the only thing that I did was running, like I really respect athletes and, um, you know, people like trying to qualify for the Olympics and go to the Olympics who, who do running full time. Um, I just like, I just really think that my, my career, like we were talking about earlier, kind of, kind of helps reaffirm and strengthen my motivation for why I, I do this stuff in the first place. And I think that, uh, like my career is where I, I really feel like I'm, I'm really making a difference in like other people's lives. And I think that's probably like, at the end of the day, to me, I think if I can, you know, help make a difference in someone's life for the better. That's more important to me than like any time I could ever run in any race. Um, I mean, I think like five or seven years ago, I'd be like, Oh, if I could just run this time, or if I could just do this, or if I could just get top 10 at Western States, like I would be totally happy and content with like everything in my life. And it's just not true. It's, you're always going to have like another goal. There's always going to be like another, like, like another level that you want to get to. And, and that's why we love running, I think. But I, yeah. So I think, I think just having my career um, and we're having goals outside of running um, re really just like is, 
it just kind of helps me keep everything in balance and um, helps me have, I guess, more gratitude for, for the things that I'm able to do. And I guess I also probably wouldn't like, like that if everything in my life was kind of riding on like yeah. how I did it race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that would be really tough. And I really respect um, the athletes who, who are able to do that. Um, so, but yeah. yeah. And to your point, I mean, it's always, I, I think about this because I've dealt with some injury and things like that in my life. It's like, if this were to be pulled out from underneath you and you could never run again, you better hope that you've got some other things you're passionate about, you know, like, and that can be said for anything that you put a lot of energy into. Right. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think like a lot of times when like, and especially like, this is really hard with professional athletes is like, when they're injured, it's like, well, that's like their job. Like, yeah. now they like literally can't do their job. And it's so frustrating, because it's like, it feels like something out of their control. And I mean, I, I definitely understand like how frustrating injuries can be. And I mean, it's not just, and even if you're not a professional athlete, it's, it's not just about running and fitness. It's about like your whole social um, like mm-hmm. support network, you yeah. know, now you feel shut off. Um, it's like a whole part of your life. And I think getting back to what I was saying earlier, that's like one of the really important um, reasons why having a, a background or at least like some experience with running and really understanding running and like why people are running long distances really helps as like a healthcare professional. Yeah. And kind of understanding, Hey, this is, it's not, you know, I know PTs, um, who who don't work with runners who might be good PTs, but they're just like, oh, well, just like instead of your hour run, just go on the elliptical for an hour. You can burn as many calories. You can get the cardio benefit and strength. And it's like, no, like that's not why this person's running. You yeah. know, like you just you don't quite get it, you know? It's yeah. Like- yeah. I'm running for the satisfaction it brings me for my mental health mostly like that's my number one reason like I'm not even thinking about the calories it's just the that's an added benefit that it helps me stay fit but yeah I mean all the other reasons are far more important to me um all right Jackie what's one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do in your life that you haven't done yet Ooh, um I would like to have my own laboratory okay so I'm tell us what that means Okay, I, I'm currently a fellow at Emory um, University School of Medicine, so I'm I'm a postdoctoral research fellow in um, the lab of my mentor, and so the ulti- the being a fellow is is like a kind of a training a temporary position, and so um, ultimately I'm hoping that um, it will prepare me to be able to start my own laboratory um, in a university someday and kind of um, lead my own research projects and uh, yeah, kind of be the lead of hopefully a small army of, um, really awesome scientists and, uh, students. So nice. Yeah. So then the people, the fellows, and then even like undergrad students and and grad students, they'd be doing work and research for the projects you're working on. Is that what I'm, am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Probably finishing my PhD. That's awesome. Which one? Yeah. Both of them. You too, okay, so right? It was a long grinding process. <laughs> um, I, I have I have a doctor of physical therapy and I have a PhD okay. um, in biomechanics. And um, my P- the doctor of physical therapy is, it's kind of like similar to like med school or law school or something. And that like they lay out a curriculum and uh-huh. like you're, you know, you, it's really hard and vigorous, but um, you're going to finish by the state. And the PhD is more like you're kind of coming up with your own project. You're really kind of like taking the lead on like, 
everything that goes into it and you're really becoming an expert in like one thing and your job is to know everything about this one thing and it's uh it has a lot of a lot more autonomy to it um i don't know i I feel you definitely feel like you have more ownership of it and Mm, i think that's probably the thing i'm most of that makes sense Mm. sounds really hard if you had one message to send to the world what would it be i would say um since your audience is uh, probably all runners, I would say go for a run today because you get to go for a run today, not because you have to. That's good. What are you loving right now? Ooh, I'm really loving um, my Lily Trotters uh, compression socks. <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> They're so cute. I, yeah, I pull them on every morning after a run and I'm like in them all day at work when I'm like standing and like walking around and stuff and it's they're pretty great so I've been loving them and they have like some new really fun designs and stuff out now so yeah they're really comfortable and uh breathable as well for sure and um I can't wait for warmer weather though because I put them on underneath my pants and you can't even see them and they're really cute (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's uh it's definitely like night like nice enough um but not super super hot in Atlanta right now so I've been like wear them around running. Yeah. Um, they're, they're really fun. I like wearing them for like speed workouts and stuff too. What's the best, most recent book you've read? The Endure by, uh, Alex Hutchinson. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And it's like written, like there's a lot of science in it, but it's written in a way that's definitely like really easily, like understandable and digestible for like, um, people who don't have like a science background and stuff. Okay. I'm dying right now because we are reading that for our book club. And this whole conversation, I've been like, I need to ask her if she's read this book because I was thinking (laughs) this book is right up your alley. And I have to tell you, I am really struggling to get through it because I'm just a little bit bored and I, I feel like it's like I'm in school right now. So I'm being completely honest. And part of me didn't, doesn't want to admit that because I want to be like, come on, Lindsay, you're smarter than this. Like you can, you can get into it, but um, I think I was kind of going into it thinking it was going to be a little bit more like Matt Fitzgerald's book, How Bad Do You Want It?, which had a little <laughs> bit more of like a story, like different storylines, you know, that you could follow and get mm-hmm. invested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this whole time I was like, I wonder if she's read Endor because she would like absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm almost through it. I'm like, I think I'm like 80% through it right okay. now. I'm only like 18%. Really... Oh, okay. Okay. So there's like, I think there's like a part that I that I was getting a little bored in that was probably like 15 to 20% in, okay. but then it starts like really picking up. So you might like, you might get the, um, get the bite again once you get kind of like past that. Well, I'm dedicated part. because we, we read a book <laughs> each month. Um, it's, it's related to the podcast, but it's also kind of just like a fun thing. It's like, what's the book of the month that I'm going to read that a lot of my audience might enjoy reading as well. And so, um, it's really an informal book club, but any book that I pick for the book club, I'm 100% committed committed to finishing whether I love it or not. And we've read, uh, we've probably read like 10 books by now. And so I haven't loved all of them. I've loved some of them. I've been meh on some of them. So I'm committed. I'm going to finish it. Uh, but yeah, that's fun that you had that yeah. as an answer. Um, all right. Well, Jackie, uh, thanks for coming on. And you're going to come back with your friend Mindy and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have um, listeners uh, come up with questions specific for you guys because I think that that'll be a really good educational one. 
Yeah, so Mindy, um, Mindy is a uh, physical therapist as well, and she is a certified women's health physical therapist. So she works a lot with um, women who are women runners who are pregnant or are coming back to running after having um, a baby. And she is certainly um, has a lot more experience and knowledge in, in that area to me than I do. So she'll be great to talk to for for those type of things as well. Okay, that's going to be really fun. Okay, well, good luck at the marathon tomorrow. Yes, thank you. And good luck at Western States. Yeah, thank you. It's going to be a hot one this year, I think. So, well, you run well in the heat, so that's a good thing for you. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a good thing. Awesome. Well, have a good day, Jackie. Thanks so much for doing this. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Jackie, for coming on the show. Thank you, Mercury Mile and Lily Trotters for supporting this episode of the podcast. You guys go to mercurymile.com and use the code HAVEANOTHER10 to get $10 off your stylist fee. And check out Lily Trotters, lilytrotters.com, and use the code ANOTHER to get 25% off your order. Links to both of those will be in the show notes. Don't forget to follow Jackie over on Instagram, Jackie underscore palm underscore. And find me over there, lindsayhine626. All right, you guys, have a great weekend. Have a great Friday. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.